Hello and welcome to the Nursing Standard podcast. I'm your host Flavia Munn, editor of Nursing Standard, and we're back today with the second part of a mini-series on education, which supported by the University of Surrey, and I'm here with my colleague, senior nurse editor Richard Hatchett. Hi there Flavia, good to be back. Good to have you. So regular listeners of the podcast, or those who want to catch up on the series so far, may have heard from the students at the university offering their top tips for new students starting courses. Well, today we're back at the university again, but looking this time at the NMC education standards. So Richard, can you tell us a little bit more about what people will discover in this particular episode? Uh, Yeah, I think there are two things primarily, Flavia. One is um, I wanted my uh, academic colleagues just to go through the uh, education standards. People will know that they were published in 2018 and became effective in 2019. So as well as giving a little bit of an overview and updating, I think most people know a little bit about them. I think they're very good at getting across why the NMC have produced these standards. I think we have to remember that you could argue that standards can be produced and then last for 30 or 40 years, but they do get renewed and they do reflect the times that we live in and the delivery of health care and I think the colleagues at the University sorry, get across uh, that message very well the multidisciplinary working and how we're changing in delivering health care so the overall aim is obviously to protect the public but we need to have standards that work alongside how we deliver health care so I think they get, they get across very well rather than just stating on page two you do this on page three you do that so I think that um, comes across very well and then latterly they talk about the role of the uh, practice supervisor particularly colleagues will know there's three roles within those standards particularly in part two but we're focusing on the practice supervisor how do you effectively support students in practice and give them uh, an excellent learning experience so I would say if you're um, involved with students and most of us are of course uh, useful to reflect on this podcast and maybe use it as part of your revalidation or renewal registration wherever you are in the world you don't necessarily have to work to these standards because there's some excellent tips there so i think people will get a lot out of this podcast flavia okay let's hear your discussion with colleagues at the university of surrey the nursing and midwifery council in the uk regulate individual nurses midwives and nursing associates in 2018 the nmc published new education standards which are aimed at the pre-registration level and for a number of post-registration courses The standards are in three parts and we'll be discussing those but importantly looking at supporting students in practice and the three roles of practice supervisor, practice assessor and touching on the role of the academic assessor. I'm at the School of Health Sciences at the University of Surrey which is southwest of London and I'm joined by, well shall I get you to introduce yourselves then because people can't see you you see. Hi I'm Amy Dobson and I'm one of the principal teaching fellows here at the University. Hi, I'm Deanna Hodge. I'm the Lead for Practice Education and a Teaching Fellow. Hi, I'm Lawrence Drew. I'm the uh, Field Lead for the Mental Health Nursing Programme and also a Teaching Fellow. So I suppose the first question for us is, what do the NMC standards cover? Who wants to tackle that one? Well, the NMC standards ultimately are, um, the NMC is a regulatory body, so they're really looking at ensuring public protection, um, ensuring patient safety, but at the same time we're looking at how we can best support students out in practice, but also our practice colleagues um, when they're working alongside students in order to really look at developing our future workforce to the best of our ability. So you said um, before, Amy, um, off sort of recording, uh, I think, Diana, you were saying this as well, it's about a team, isn't it? It's about joined up writing so that everybody's not working in silos, so they pull together. 
Yeah, absolutely. A lot of this is about um, the purpose of having standards is actually about ensuring that we're all working to the same level of quality, um, that we can expect a student training in London and a student training in Manchester and um, even across the other countries within the within Great Britain so in Wales as well um, that we could look at ensuring that the experience is similar um, but also that the patients are safe that the quality that we expect of all of the students that we're working with um, is the same and actually the outcomes at the end of a a three-year program so a three-year BSE program or maybe a two-year postgraduate diploma program would have a very very similar outcome so we should Um, expect our students to be able to deliver care in the same way but have the same principles have the same expectations so it's prepared to a minimum standard but we don't like the word minimum (laughs) we want them to excel beyond the minimum and so Deanna can I ask you what are the three roles that um, sort of emerged I think it's in part two of the standards isn't it Uh, yes it is in part two it's the standards for student supervision and assessment and the three roles are the role of the practice supervisor the practice assessor and the academic assessor So the practice supervisor predominantly works on a daily basis with the student and when I talk to students I uh, ask them to consider the whole team and think about members of the team that they would perhaps uh, like to work with. So perhaps one member of the team is really good at um, describing medications and how they work whereas another uh, member of the team may be uh, very good at managing um, delivering uh, bad news. Um, and, and it's about the students actually thinking which members of the team can help their learning the best. So the practice supervisor will be working with the students on a regular basis. They don't need to work with just one practice supervisor, they can work with several. And the practice supervisor doesn't have to be um, a registered nurse or a med- registered midwife. It can also be the, the wider multidisciplinary team. So. Um, an adult student working in intensive care, for example, could also spend some time with the physiotherapist as they go around and um, care for the patients. So again, a more holistic approach to care for the patients. Um, For me, the most important thing for the practice supervisor is feeding back to the practice assessor. The practice assessor, in the past, the the mentor would have um, taught and assessed the student, so they would have spent a lot of time with the student. Practice assessor doesn't spend so much time with the student so um, they can spend some time with the student but uh, the practice assessor will also be gaining feedback from the practice supervisor and here at the university we have an online portfolio and we've um, entered um, a a facility within the portfolio to um, allow um, practice supervisors to actually give uh, written feedback to both the student and to the practice assessor as well. So is, uh, are you therefore, do you encourage the practice supervisor and the practice assessor to be different people? Can they be the same person? Is that, do you discourage that because of the point that you made earlier that it all, or I was picking up from that, that it could all rest on one person? No, so the standards are very clear in the fact that the practice supervisor and the practice assessor have to be different people. Um, a practice assessor can take on the role of a practice supervisor, but for different for a different student, they can't supervise and assess the same student at the same time. And uh, we said we'd touch on the academic assessor. That comes primarily from your side, from the university side. Don't even like that that split, your side, their side. But it's from uh, what can I say? It's it's from the academic side. Yes, it is. Um, so it is um, en- enabling. Um, 
the academic side to liaise very closely with the uh, practice assessor to uh, and the student um, to, to look at whether the students are uh, ready and prepared to move forward within their program and they'll meet perhaps uh, once a year um, and um, there's multiple ways that this can be done. It could be done as a tripartite meeting, especially if you have a student who's perhaps struggling in practice or feels that they need that further support. But also that we could do it via um, Skype or telephone or, or even just through the portfolio. So there's multiple ways that we can actually um, dis discuss progress with the practice assessor. So Lawrence, from a mental health perspective, all that we've talked about is actually the advantage of the mental health student. Yeah, uh, definitely. So where we've often found things difficult in the past has been that, particularly with our more specialist areas, um, the opportunity to expose students perhaps to uh, areas where maybe the resources are slightly thinner in terms of a nursing input. Um, so the opportunity obviously to get exposure with these other health disciplines is, is going to be vital and obviously, uh, you know, improving a student's uh, awareness of the role of uh, a qualified nurse but also you know to move away perhaps from the tokenistic sort of approach that we used to have where a student would go and just spend a few hours with another discipline or another area of practice it's an opportunity for them actually to you know embed it within their learning objectives you know uh, because if the students obviously at the center are much the same as with our patients uh, hopefully obviously it will be you know part and parcel of you know where they want to go what they're trying to achieve and then the uh, practice supervisors can all feed into that so for us particularly it's working with people like psychologists psychiatrists you know mental health OTs where actually you know it will really help our students learning journey because rather than you know solely being around nursing it's actually that bigger picture because our patient's journey follows that so hopefully with the student following that as well it will lead to you know a more positive outcome. So it's matching what's actually happening yeah the reality the of reality practice. of yeah uh, uh, of practice have um, other disciplines embraced that as is uh, uh, do you feel something different to be fair, there's been a lot of support, uh, you know, from my particular field of practice. What we found is that actually, you know, there's a lot of knowledge and skills out there that sometimes hasn't always been picked up on. So some of our psychiatrists love having students because they very much see nurses as the guiding force of our practice. You know, they very rarely spend a long time with their patients. You know, they, they obviously go off what nurses are telling them. So actually an opportunity to work collaboratively is, is a you know a big shift and also you know a real positive. Um, because actually, you know, psychiatrists learn a lot from our nursing students, but also it's an opportunity to learn things like Deanna was saying around, you know, medications and things like that that actually might be more their specialism um, and actually allow our students obviously to, you know, uh, sort of build uh, well, um, relationship yeah uh, and actually to you know um, scaffold their learning across you know various right, different right aspects as opposed to seeing themselves just as a nurse and I suppose it's also thinking outside the box isn't it you see uh, the same issue problem from different perspectives but Definitely. what you're really saying is that is how it works so yeah. you've got you've got to match your um, preparation to what how it works in reality no definitely uh and as i said a lot of our teams are built on not just nursing so particularly yes, in a community yes. setting we have a lot of social workers uh and you know these other health disciplines you know who actually you know play such a significant role in our patients lives an opportunity for students actually to get valuable learning rather than like i say that tokenistic spending a few hours here a few hours there mm. actually having something where they are able to feed in uh, and like diana says give feedback and feed forward 
uh, in a student's learning journey is going to be such a, an important factor moving forwards because the role of the nurse has changed and now that the autonomy and the responsibility is improving and increasing you know day in day out so actually an opportunity to really embed that in a student's learning before they get to the point of qualification is going to be vital. Well, the obvious question is, what have you done with a mentor? Where's, 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 or what's the NFC done with the mentor? What's happened to the mentor then? Okay, well, the mentor doesn't really hasn't really gone anywhere. It's just the terminology has changed. But also, as Lawrence was saying there, this is really about changing a philosophy. Previously, the standards, and actually, if we're all honest in our practice, many of us worked in silos, many of us worked in isolation. The, the NMC standards originally were very, very focused on nursing and midwifery and not looking at us as part of a interprofessional group, uh, you know, one healthcare perspective. Um, so actually for us this is a really positive thing because we believe that we have had a quite a strong interprofessional ethos for a number of years. We um, our nursing students work really closely with the midwifery students, the paramedic students, the operating department practice students previously. And so what the standards do, so the question really was, where's the mentor gone? Well, the mentor is still there, but the terms are different. And the other thing is that we have, and I'm sure maybe if people listening, there's a group of people that loved supporting students but found the pressure of assessing students quite difficult students would tell us that they gravitate to certain people in practice areas that's the where their support is but actually would we want the friendship groups necessarily to be the people that are assessing um, and then very similarly to um, Lawrence's point there with mental health if I took an example from child um, within children's nursing we send our students to a lot of environments that don't necessarily have nurses as a core workforce so um, we were discussing before something like a special um, education needs school would be a perfect example where um, our students spend a lot of time with um, a teacher in a classroom a special needs teacher who's probably giving them unbelievable skills in communication with that particular group um, maybe looking at how would you diffuse um, distress in a child with special needs and what ta uh, what tricks and tips they can give them and in the past that's really not fed into anything whereas now actually that teacher could be the assessor so that's where the mentor's gone it's broadened it's included other groups other professional groups the teacher might be my practice assessor but ultimately that teacher has various skills but probably isn't as au fait with the NMC code and so therefore we wouldn't necessarily want them to assess uh, is that nursing student meeting the NMC standards well actually that needs to be a nurse that does that and that's where our practice assessor comes in someone who does have those that ultimate core quality I don't know if that answers that yeah very well um and I suppose the final question, it's a big question, is how can a practice supervisor best support a pre-registration student? I mean, you could give me many, many tips, but for each of you, is there sort of some, some tips and tricks, as you were saying, Amy, to uh, best supporting a student? Yeah, I think one of the first things, which I know is hard, you know, we're all um, still in touch with modern healthcare and it's busy, but I think one of the first things is just to recognise what they're feeling um, I think it's very easy once we've all moved on to forget how hard it is to be a student, to be in a new environment, to be ever-changing. We want these people to be professional all the time, so have that student stance and not fit into a team, yet we expect them to fit into a team. So my tip would just be maybe to listen, to look, to read them, um, and hopefully enjoy what they can bring to your day and your work. Um, 
actually having a student working alongside you is perfect because it allows you to question what you're doing and to stop and to think but also don't be intimidated by that actually if a student asks a question that you don't know the answer to and I guess with the practice supervisor we may have people that haven't worked so closely with students before um, a question can be answered with actually you know what I don't know I've never thought about that either let's go away and work it out together or let's go and find that out um, I think people often fear that a student is going to ask questions and I don't know the answer to that question and that's going to make me a bad assessor or supervisor. Actually, it doesn't. It makes you a human being. But it's about recognising that and not be put off from that. And I suppose I'm just thinking about when I was a tutor. The other thing is, I'll find that out for you, but remember to do it and come back. Absolutely. Otherwise, yeah, they, that okay. is the worst thing. The worst thing is to say, I'll find that. Probably my preference would be, let's go and work that out together. Yes, yes. Um, because, yeah, you're right, I'll find that out is quite often a fob off. Um, but it's about allowing them to challenge you and then find that actually that's quite nice. Yes, absolutely. Um, Deanna, tips on supporting? Um, I think for me it, it's, it's bringing the student into the team and, and because students who feel that they belong will learn more. Um, and also, I suppose, recognising from a practice supervisor point of view that we all have our strengths and our weaknesses and drawing on our own strengths to share those with the students and then to um, perhaps recognise the strengths within the team and say, but actually, that, per that other person's really good at that. Why don't you go and talk to them about that? And, hmm. yeah, bringing the students in as part of the team. That's, it's difficult, isn't it, because they're transient yes. um, in many ways. And I have heard that before, you know, that feeling of being um, the student mm. rather than the named person. It's, mm. it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, future colleagues. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, the future colleagues. Lawrence? For me, uh, and from a lot of the feedback we get from students, it's around allowing them to be in control of their own learning. So for yeah. a lot of previous, I suppose, years and the way we've done things often has been uh, more about us dictating what a student does, where this is a real opportunity for students, obviously, to think about where their strengths and weaknesses lie, as well as, like Deanna was saying, within the team. But an opportunity for students to really play a key role in actually developing themselves. So there are people that come to us who have healthcare backgrounds, you know, who've had exposure to certain stuff. Um, but it's about allowing students obviously to really think about where their strengths lie, to showcase that talent, but also to think about where their weaknesses are. So rather than avoiding particular areas of practice, it's a real opportunity for them to, to play a central role in their own learning journey. Uh, and obviously being able to then touch base with all these different health disciplines to really you know, allow them to have a much more uh, varied uh, learning journey uh, across their three years in undergraduate to hopefully come out then being far better prepared uh, and mm. ready to hit the ground running. Um, that's quite an interesting point, isn't it? Because I wondered your experience of um, students being able to do that. In other words, whether somebody comes in expecting it to be didactic and it's not. And then also, as we all know, um, let's be honest, practice supervisors, some might be great and some might not be so good yeah. and some might want to be telling you and some might want to do as you're talking. Um, I don't know what the answer to that is, but I just, a little reflection on yeah. um, how do you get them to that that, that that mental place? Yeah, well, I suppose a lot of it's around expectations and for yeah. us here, it's about setting those expectations from day one so that actually the students, you know, were are you know involved in their learning here uh, you know an academic institution and i'm sure it's the same across you know the country that you know allowing them to 
to bring their experiences because for us you know and this is my sort of mental health hat but you know it's all about life experience it's about being able to recognize you know distress in people and actually recognizing that within ourselves you know we have our own you know cross to bear at times so actually allowing students to bring in their own personalities and their own journey you know to where they got to this point is you know is really important uh, because actually you know rather than uh, you know sort of pushing students to do stuff either that they're already exceptional at or stuff that them you know, massively out of their depth it's allowing us to actually try and marry up what they need to do with what they can do and what actually they need to develop um, and you know people like practice supervisors can play you know a vital role in that you know to, to allow our students to to really sort of you know move forwards um, as opposed to sort of either having those people that feel they're being pulled back a little bit or those that are being thrown in the deep end because they're massively out of their depth Amy, yeah, I was yeah. about to say thank you, but you, you're well, poised. I was going to say, the, the last thing to sort of just add, and it goes back to your point right at the beginning, which was when you said we shouldn't say them and we shouldn't say us between the oh, students, yeah. it's about also remembering you're not on your own. Mm, so mm, as a mm. practice supervisor, you will have now a whole environment around you of other practice supervisors. So hopefully actually that group will be bigger depends on your clinical environment. If it's within a bigger organisation, you probably will have practice um, um, leads and education leads and student support leads and then there's a link back to us so mm. actually if we said to the tip about what's the best thing that you could give someone to help them to be a better supervisor or a stronger supervisor it's actually about actually questioning yourself and asking for things early on rather than waiting until you're in a situation where maybe you've got a problem or you've got a student that's struggling and you've wanted to help them too much and we've now suddenly at the end and we've not done anything about it so it probably would just be about remembering you're part of a big picture and it's not like them and us we're working together to actually go back to the first point which is the nmc and to ensure patient safety lovely thank you all very much Okay, well, thanks for that from the University of Surrey. And back to you, Richard. What do you feel are the takeaway messages there? Well, I think the takeaway message there is definitely we're a team and we should be supporting the student as a group. The multidisciplinary side comes through strong and clear, which I think is incredibly important because that reflects very much um, how we work in practice these days. And talking about that these days, I think it's important for us all as nurses and supporters of nurses to consider why standards are created in the way they are. Um, regulation doesn't sort of sit in a, in a bubble, in a vacuum, so I would always recommend and colleagues to have a look at a website such as the Professional Standards Authority and they are the regulator of the regulator. In other words, they oversee uh, regulators such as the Nursing and Midwifery Council. So if terms such as proportionate regulation and right touch regulation mean nothing to you at all, have a look at that website because you will understand why the NMC set broad standard regulations, why they might have revoked certain standards and so forth. And it gives you a little bit of context and I think helps us understand the direction that we're all moving in together. So I think there's a lot of take-home messages there, but regulation is a particular interest to me. But if it's very unfamiliar to you, do have a look because it's a very interesting subject, standards and regulation. Thank you. That's some really good advice there. So if you're interested in exploring a little bit more around this topic, then please go to our website, rcni.com forward slash podcast, where in the notes uh, associated with this show, there will be some further reading material. And also, I'd just like to thank you very much for listening. Please uh, do review us on Apple or Spotify podcasts, because that really helps people to find us. And uh, we We'd love to hear your feedback as well. So thank you and I hope you enjoyed this episode.